Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission, to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. Welcome back to the Frankie D Podcast. Today, guys, we have... A legend, a legend that has gone on to found a company that has outranked that one of the highest selling, selling chocolate bars in the UK, the Mars Bar. The man himself, the man who founded Grenade, Mr. Alan Barrett, welcome to your cinema. <laughs> welcome to my house. Um, yeah, not, yeah, I love the fact you call me a legend. I think yeah. that's probably the end of the podcast yeah, now. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. Mate, well, um, you called me a wanker when I walked in. So I, I thought, did do yeah, that. Yeah. 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 I think it was worse than that. But. You actually said to me, how the fuck have I still got a better hairline than you? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got a better hairline than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, fucking hell. You've hit me right there between the eyeballs there. <laughs> but, mate, I obviously, Grenade, massive company, massive achievement. Grenade guys, check them out. You, you know them. You've seen them in every petrol station. They've launched in Australia, so a lot of the Australian audience will know them in Woolworths. The, the, the bars will go into all that. But one thing that's come through on the, that I've seen, obviously, you've been on a few podcasts in the past, but not many proper people... Proper podcasts, not like this one. Yeah. <laughs> real <laughs> podcasts re- re- with real interviewers oh. and proper guests. <laughs> <laughs> I, call in a, I call in a lot of favours to get this shit done, trust me. But but anyway, obviously, on a lot of those previous podcasts, you're talking solely about Grenade and stuff like that. But I want I want the audience today to get a real insight into, into who you are, because obviously, there's a lot more to you as an entrepreneur than just Grenade. I'm, I'm a very interesting person. Yeah. Um, if, even I was if you, told once. <laughs> I've never been told that ever. Yeah, but. even if you do say so yourself. <laughs> yeah, but give, I'm a legend in my own lunch give, hour. Obviously, give us, in terms of your entrepreneurial journey, like where did it kind of start for you? Because I know you had a, a brand in the kind of fitness space that you that you built up and sold before Grenade that not many people know about. Yeah, going back, at, yeah, go back probably further back than that if you like, um, in, in the sense I've probably been an entrepreneur since I was 11. So I think when I was probably 11, no one really knew what entre- an entrepreneur was, and I certainly didn't. But my dad was a heavy goods vehicle mechanic, and he used to do some work on, like, uh, Mr. Kipling lorries and Cadbury's lorries and stuff like that. He used to do servicing and MOTs. And I would go and help him on a Saturday morning, which I hated because <laughs> I don't like getting dirty. And I've got no- I love cars and planes and toys and stuff like that, but I've got no interest in how they work. I've just, I'm just not mechanically minded. So I used to go and help on a Saturday morning and um, in the back of all these like, vans and lorries, there'd be like cakes that were sort of short dated or, um, you know, potentially going out, going out a date. And then the drivers would say, oh, yeah, just help yourself, you know, because no one knows what's in the back of there. And so I just get all these free cakes and you get quite bored of eating them <laughs> um, quite quickly. And I wasn't training at that point, but um, I used to take them to school and sell them at school. So when I was 11, I was getting all this free stuff. And the margin's quite good when you get it for free. <laughs> 
So I could afford to undercut everyone in the country. So I was selling like these cakes, 15p each, two for 25. And then I was got caught selling them in the, the playground. Was it the playground then? Probably. Um, and uh, the teachers kind of marched me to like the head officers, uh, the headmaster's office. And um, and then my parents got called and they said, we don't know where to congratulate him or expel him, basically. And they said, you're either going to be a multimillionaire or you're going to go to jail. And anyway, I sort of, I, I learned back then that probably personality gets you a long way. And um, I did a deal whereby um, I would sell cakes in the school, but the teachers would have first refusal if I went around the staff room first and gave them first pick of what, what the stock that I'd uh, procured that See, week. You, could, you say. could never do. You could never get away with that now because they're too. They're too. They're too onto you. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm wondering at what point. I said this actually to Tom today in my MD. I said like, you know, times change and probably people don't necessarily change. And I wonder at what point I'm going to be a bit of a dinosaur and, yeah, I can't get away with things any longer because I'm just I'm either just too politically incorrect or just because I just misjudge the situation. We've gone into an era out of, of like, cancel culture where everyone's getting cancelled for everything, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. You can't really say much without someone 10 years later saying, you shouldn't have said that then. This is the problem. I don't understand. Yeah, don't get me started on this. I don't understand how you can be in trouble for saying something potentially decades ago when it was fine at the time. Some things pop up, not with me, but like, you know, with friends of mine and they've got in trouble for something I've said 20 years ago. But you think, yeah, but that wasn't okay at the time. Um, So I can understand why that's kind of come back to bite them. But yeah, there's a lot of examples where, yeah, something was... I mean, again, if you probably take, you know, smoking used to be glamorised. And, you know, you'd have, like, all the movie stars and stuff, like, in the sort of 20s, 30s, 40s, it'd be smoking and, and whatever. And, it, you know, I've never smoked, but it, it it's certainly become kind of, like, almost, you know, demonised. You know, and, and rightly so, because it kills you. But I'm just wondering if in sort of 20, 30, 40 years' time, you know, I don't know, retrospectively you'll be in real trouble of having smoked or something i know it sounds like a stupid example but it's one of those things that used to be considered okay and now it's not um and yeah certainly with you know things that you say that yeah you know were fine in the 70s or 80s and all of a sudden now they're not i don't understand that because i don't understand how you can be in trouble for something that you did you know 20 years ago yeah but it seems it seems that they're that they're, they're, it, it does come around doesn't it there's so many people getting cancelled today for things that they said five years ago and it's just all about everything that they're getting cancelled for has just been completely taken out of context. Like it's, it, Do you know, what, the thing is as well, we've got, this, I think there's this, it's interesting, isn't it now, how, like I'm 45, I'm a different generation uh, to you, but there's almost now, the, the, the differences between generations, you know, I, I, if I were to, you know, sort of speak to someone who's, you know, potentially 20, 30 years younger than me, there's probably almost nothing you'll agree on. You've just got, entirely different perceptions of life your experiences have been different you know my parents were like born in like during the second world war and my grandparents fought in the war and stuff like that and I was always brought up again with um, respect for elders and you know being um, respectful of sort of authority and the police and looking up to the military and uh, and stuff like that and it's weird how that changes over the years and you're right we've become this generation now where yeah we're sort of scared of ourselves the little voice wins um you know we've become so protective over um you know potentially minorities and rightly so that the minorities kind of become the majority it just just seems odd well there's there's, there's, since me when me and you went to school right even though we're two separate eras 
when me and you went to school, you could you could you could be you know one, two, three different sexes, right? Now you can be fifty-two different things. You can identify. I think identify, it might be more than that. I want to say it's seventy something. You can identify as like so many different things now. It's like and and then and then if you. But the thing is, because we're brought up in that era where we don't really know what that and that and that is because we because we weren't brought around it it's hard it's hard to it's hard to know what you can and can't say in that it's, do you know what it's really hard and i'm probably gonna put my foot in it here and i'm gonna try not to but also i let's say with employment for instance i saw something on linkedin yesterday you, you, hold on you go on linkedin yeah i've got quite a good following on linkedin to be honest because it's like social media for adults um uh, yeah so I've, yeah I've got, I've got quite a good reach on linkedin but something came up yesterday and they were making points about like you know diversity and equality and inclusion and, and all this stuff and all the boring stuff y- yeah and you think you know fine and and they're saying oh you know they they you've you've got to put these certain people in certain places and you think i just want the best person for the job i don't care if they're male female um they're straight, gay. I, I, just, I just want the best person for the job. And I think now you get a lot of stuff uh, pop up. And we've seen this a bit, say, within the military. Well, you know, a, a woman has to have that job. Why? Because she's a woman. Okay, well, can she do the job? Because, you know, you just want the best person. For the, if it's a woman, then great. If it's a, a man, great. But there just seems to be um, a, an awful lot of, 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 of Is, pressure now where almost if you're, yeah, if you're a middle-aged white male... You're almost have not you, going to get a job anywhere. <laughs> have you found Have you found that hard in Grenade as a business to to kind of like? I do you kind of have to meet a diversity quota when you start to grow a major brand like that? Yeah, it gets talked about a lot, but honestly, no, because I've done what we said, where I've just always employed the best people for the job. If somebody wants to identify as a toaster, fine. <laughs> you know, does it affect their ability to do the job? No. Um, so I've just always employed sort of mean extensions of me, people of likes. Frankly, I've employed people who were almost unemployable because I'm unemployable and I've employed people who probably almost couldn't get a job anywhere else because they're so sort of off the spectrum bonkers. <laughs> They've actually been brilliant for us. So, um, yeah, we've probably handled it quite well, I think. But I think, just like I said, just get people you like who, you know, want to work hard, want to make a difference. Um uh, yeah, who you think can do the job, and it's, and it's a two-way street. The ability to do the job is only um, half what you need. The other half is you want that cultural fix. You can have someone who's brilliant at the job, but you just just doesn't gel. You can have someone who's a fantastic personality that you love, and they can't do the job. So it's a fifty-fifty thing. And also, you know, you, you're kind of getting married. Yeah, we're employing someone, but you spend a lot of time at work so we want people to enjoy it be themselves i i just love it when people are themselves at work i love to see people laughing taking the mickey loads of banter making great product that people love i just think there are no losers in that yeah i think if you have to be someone else at work and i guess maybe that's where all this cancel cultures come from and and, and diversity inclusion where for, for, for decades people haven't able to be themselves at work you know which is a shame and they have to kind of put a mask on go to work and then they can be themselves at home yeah that's a shame so maybe that's where all this has come from and and, and rightly so but no we've never found it a problem at all um we, we've we've just always had that kind of family and and worked hard and if, if one does well we all do well yeah the thing is with, with grenade as well it's such a, a it's like a viral 
viral brand in terms of like the way that you hacked marketing in the early days with the tank and the aggressive bottles like look at look at this for yeah, like, we had no money this is what <laughs> so this, we had to make it stand out mate that would have cost a fortune to develop that do you know what as well you probably couldn't do that nowadays funnily enough this is one of those things that's kind of popping up um every now and this again, is the, and, and for those of you listening on spotify and apple we're looking at the um original grenade so yeah, this this was your this was your first product right yep this was your first product. This is still the, this, the number one selling fat burner in the UK. This, yeah, yeah, the number one selling fat burner in the UK. But this, but this, you went a little bit different with it because you made it really stand out on the shelf by creating this. What can only be described, obviously, as a grenade bottle that that you know obviously stands out when you look at it on a shelf. It, it completely differentiated you from like Jack 3D and all these other type of products back in the day. That which have all come and gone, so and and you know we're still here, and I think there's there's a number of reasons for that. One of which is we've always made extremely effective products. We've always had good fun. We've never taken ourselves seriously, but we've made serious product for serious people. And yeah, you're right. You know when we st- when we first uh, launched this product, we already had the name Grenade, but we didn't just want to stick it on some generic white bottle that looked the same as everyone else because we thought we could make this sort of quite big worldwide and subsequently we have. The name Grenade works in every country around the world and also that, you know, a Grenade bottle looks the same in every country around the world. And and when we, we, we did it, you know, some people loved it, some people hated it, people overwhelmingly loved it, um, which is great because you want people to have an opinion. I would much rather make a product that 100 people absolutely thought was fantastic than a million people thought was okay so and you know if 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 no one hates you no one can can love you so we've always just been sort of these hopefully fairly likable entrepreneurs who've just made really good products as not taken ourselves seriously um and you know put ourselves out there as in a brand that we want people to have an opinion about um, and if that, and if, and if people don't like us, you know, it's absolutely fine. But you won't find anyone, and I've, I've actually never had this in sort of twelve years. No one can bash us for for the product that we do. Where, which is where did you where did you learn? Obviously, you're you've been you were very disruptive in your early entrepreneurial days with Grenade. But where did you learn that foundational footprint to be to be disruptive? Like, I think the, it's just me because br- brands are an extension of their founders. Um, you know, the guys that founded Form, uh, Red Bull like Formula One, which is why they've ended up having a Red Bull race team. If they didn't like motor racing, they would never have had Red Bull racing. So, um, you know, you always, when you start a business, you can kind of do what you like. So you do do what you like, if that makes sense. You know, you'll, you'll grow. So I, I, I've always been interested in the military, still am. So, and I was interested in fitness. So I just combined the two. And then, as I said, I've been sort of fairly uh, disruptive, fairly unemployable. Uh, you know, to be fair, when I was at school, I thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> I've just got this. Don't answer that. But I, I just, I, I, I just can't help but break the rules. <laughs> we went in, so it was her first day at Mondelez today at, at Cadbury HQ because we've doing our induction day because Grenade is moving to, to to Bourneville, and you've got this amazing campus there. Thousands of people work there. And it's got so much history because, as you know, it's where Cadbury was born, and it's like one of my favourite brands. Um, and there was this note that went round this morning that we couldn't wear shorts and I immediately want to wear shorts I just can't help it and, and but I don't want to be I want to be disruptive but not disrespectful um and in the end it was fine and you know we were allowed to wear shorts I don't quite know where it sort of um <laughs> how it got through to me things get filtered when they reach me and I think the story it's like Chinese whispers 
and um, yeah, it probably got passed through fifty different people, and by the time it got to me, we weren't allowed to wear shorts. Um, but uh, and. You know, that's a good example where, you know, you, you've probably got sort of the... I think it's very English as well. When you get told, as an English person, you can't do this, an English person will be like, fuck that, I'm doing it then. Well, so one of my earliest memories, when I was about six, I used to go down to the South Coast quite a lot. And my dad had a little boat. It was tiny. It was like 14 feet, this little boat. And we used to go out into Pool Harbour, which is like the second largest natural harbour in the world behind Sydney. So it's quite big and it's quite deep. And... We're out on Dad's boat, and I'm probably six, I would say. And there was like, there was a, there's a bung in the back of sort of most boats that obviously is supposed to let water out, but it also lets water in. Um, and of course, I pulled this bung out, and there's water like pissing in the boat. And Mum's like panicking, trying to sort of like, trying to like, like bail water and plug this gap and all this. Dad's going bonkers, and, you, and, and of course, I think it's quite funny. And I'm sort of dangling this like bung over the side of the boat. And I, and I said, oh, look what I found, look what I found. And Dad said, you didn't find it, it wasn't lost. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I'm like dangling it over the side of the boat, and he's like, don't you dare, don't you dare. And I just dropped it. And it was just, it was just really odd. This, it's just where my mind thinks, as soon as someone says, you can't do that, I just think, oh, why not? <laughs> um, not with like really dangerous stuff like jumping off cliffs and things like that but other things just think why can't yeah, with hindsight he was right it wasn't a great thing to do but I dropped it my sister had to jump in and get it um, and look we're still alive but weirdly I took that out in my boat um, about two months ago and um, yeah he pulled the bung out <laughs> yeah, got me back like 40 years later it's, it's amazing how they never forget they never forget anything yeah he wouldn't yeah. forget that because he died in the middle of Pool Harbour so he probably wasn't going to forget that I was yeah. a horrible child yeah <laughs> that, that, that just you've always you've always broke the mould with all that kind of stuff I just can't help it and I think to be fair as well I don't think I've ever really got into trouble for it because you know that's where I come back to this sort of being disruptive not disrespectful weirdly I never brought any trouble to my parents' door. I always worked hard. Um, you know, I did things differently. I did lots of things they didn't like. They didn't like me going to the gym when I was 14, 15 years old because I was bunking off school to go to the gym. Um, you know, they, they thought I was wasting my life with, with that. And, I, and from their perspective at the time, I can understand why they thought that. They were wrong, um, which I've <laughs> reminded them of. Um, but I think, you know, I probably would have gone on, and I don't class myself as successful, but I think no matter what I've done, I'd have just made the most why, out of why, it. Why don't you class yourself as successful? Um, because I think success is all relative. And the the problem is with measuring, say, success, and especially with stuff as well, is because I know lots of people, say, who, you know, have got a lot more stuff than I've got. And I think they're successful, you know, and, and they don't. So I think the minute you probably clash yourself as successful, I think then that's probably it. You've peaked. And I like the fact that you can always go on to do more things, do bigger things. And to me, being successful is kind of being happy and healthy. And for as long as I can remember, I've always I've always been happy and I've always been blessed with sort of fairly good health. So I, I've, I've always considered myself successful, to be perfectly honest. When you left school and you're like 16, 18 or however old you were when you left school, what was what? What did Alan Barrett want for himself at that point? So funnily enough, so when, going back to when I was about, again, one of my youngest memories when someone said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? There were three things. I wanted to be a policeman, um, which actually I tried to do when I was 18. and My eyes weren't good enough. I've had, I've had laser eye surgery since, but I, I didn't pass Snellen's test because so I was short-sighted, so I couldn't be a policeman. Um, I, I wanted to be a Royal Marine. 
um, when I was about 12, so I wanted to go and join the military. And subsequently, lots of people think I was in the military, and, and, and I get asked this regularly. I've got lots and lots of friends in special forces and stuff, and they say, are you ever in the military? And I would say, no, too lethal. Um, and I would say it with like, and they always believe me. <laughs> so like, someone asked for the week, said, were you in the military? I said, no, it was just far too lethal, to be honest. They didn't think it was fair on all the other special forces, because you just need me. I'll be in there. Done. Middle East. I'll do it. Monday afternoon, sorted. Get them all into touch. <laughs> yeah, there'll be hundreds of special forces now out of work. So, uh, no, obviously I'm joking. But um, And the other thing I wanted to be was I wanted to be a millionaire. was something that sort of wanted to be because I was following probably Richard Branson at that point yeah. um, and sort of seeing, you know, again, successful entrepreneurs going and doing things and breaking the mould and thinking differently and having fun and, and making money doing it. So I thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. So I've always just followed. I've always done what I've enjoyed. To be honest, so I've, I enjoyed training when I was 14. I walked into a gym and work experience and just never left. I've been in the fitness industry now. It'll be 32 th- years this year I've trained. I've been in the fitness industry and I've always loved it. And what was your first business in fitness? Um, the first, My first business would have been, so I was a personal trainer. So to this day, I'm still an unqualified personal trainer because I never took a fitness qualification. You just started <laughs> so training people? I just started no, training no people. No insurance? I don't th- yeah, no insurance because I don't think there were any qualifications back then. So I'd have been, yeah, 15 on work experience. It would have been, um, oh yeah, early 90s. Um, spit and sawdust gyms, really hardcore. I mean, it, it wasn't as well that there were there were no... Uh, qualifications nobody wanted personal training because <laughs> I don't think it was really a thing yeah. um, and I, I, I did get a, a client in the early 90s I'm still really good friends with actually um, and again he's someone I would consider successful and uh, he had four Ferraris and I was driving well in fact I wasn't driving I was taking the bus everywhere so I like, oh this guy's got four Ferraris um, and he was just he's still just such the loveliest person I've ever met he taught me a lot by not deliberately trying to teach me anything I think just I learned a lot about how to um, carry yourself, people. Yeah. yeah definitely carried himself really well super polite respectful uber successful you know really lovely um people and yeah i trained him and um i was getting 10 pounds an hour um in the mid 90s which i was earning 70 quid a week so 10 pounds an hour was like an absolute fortune um and i think with him uh, and again i was training myself so I knew, you know a fair bit about um training and i think with with him he had a very very stressful busy life and i just think he wanted an hour off from that i don't think he he was you know i don't think he was ever really wanted to particularly get necessarily in shape i just think he wanted someone who he was ultra wealthy still is and i think he just wanted someone who was normal with him do you do you think that he was mentoring you more than you were training him with hindsight absolutely i mean i had you know for my 21st birthday he gave me 210 quid and i, I just couldn't accept it uh, and it was just a fortune to me. It's a lot of money now, and um, uh, and you know, I, I just I just couldn't accept this this. Uh, I felt it was too much. And actually, he um, he he learned that I'd recently had a, my car alarm done, and it was a few hundred quid. And he actually went and paid for that, so he gave it me um, anyway. And one of the things I learned specifically about that, and uh, someone who then was a, a client and a friend, and, and now he's just a friend, um, I learned there. Obviously, how he was with me and how I was with him, but most importantly, how outsiders perceived our relationship and and, um, their perception of wealth. And I'll tell you how. Um, I happened to mention to a few people that he'd given me this money for my birthday. And the the overwhelming response from people was um, that that was quite, quite mean. It was quite tight. Right. So I was like, oh, this guy gave me 200 quid. Oh, that was, that was a bit stingy. 
I was like, why How's is that? That, that, was, yeah. that was three times my weekly wage. So I couldn't comprehend how people thought that that was me. But they think because he's worth That's right. millions of millions of pounds yep. that, 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 that it's on him to give more. Yeah. So uh, that fascinated me because it still does. Because you just think, hang on a minute. Um, he's, <laughs> he's giving me, a, which he doesn't have to do. Um, and yeah, and then, and I've learned that since how people are really strange with this stuff. It's actually, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. And I could, I, we could do a whole podcast about how people no, treat I, you differently. I, no, but. I, 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 I like that because you've, you've spent, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of your life working to the point where you're a multimillionaire, right? But it's like you get to, which, which was your dream as a kid to become this multimillionaire, to become, in my eyes, a success, but obviously in your own eyes, for whatever reason, you don't think you're there yet. And probably that's a good thing because then it keeps you striving. Yeah, of course. But you've got to, you've got to where your target was. And then when you get there, you, you, what then? You, 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 you are, you are there. It's not, not only what then, but it's more of a case of where I'm going with it. It's more of a case of like, you get there and then you turn around and then you give someone 200 and they want you to give 400. Yeah, enough's never enough. And I mean, I said at the time, I was actually quite offended on behalf of, I never told him this, by the way, but I was quite offended by him because I said to a couple of these people in the gym, what was he supposed to give me? A million? Five million? Ten million? You know, just, I know it sounds being sarcastic, but what would be enough? What would make him not stingy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so I realised back then, say with his position, and I've realised this since, you just can't win. So sometimes, because you can't win, you know, maybe. And and I think, you know, I'm definitely competitive. So if I don't feel I can win, um, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of play the game. As, um, you, as you've become more successful out over time, how has that affected your relationships with people as you're coming up and from people in your past? Um, so I... Uh, you mentioned because we've had a tour of the house and you mentioned about I must have lots of parties I don't I've had one I had one party for my 40th um, and this was a good example actually I had hundreds and hundreds of people came you know some from quite a long way away and the the, the guy I mentioned again can I just say I wasn't invited you weren't invited because <laughs> I've, I met you today um, so again I apologise for not inviting you to a party that was five years ago <laughs> That, that's the thing that's got me in trouble, where I was fine at the time to not invite Frankie Lee, but all of a sudden now I didn't invite Frankie Lee and I'm a tosser. Um, so, yeah, I'll invent a retrospective go. It's all right, we're going to have another party. We'll yeah. relive it. Anyway, but, well, actually, that's... <laughs> I was going to digress, but I'm, I'm not. I was going to say about the Stephen Hawking time machine thing, which is genius, but if you remember, remind me about that. We'll talk about that later, because it's genius. Um, where was I? Yeah, so the guy, my wealthy client that I've kept in touch with, he came by helicopter... Um, and again, a lot of the other people who came here were my friends from the gym for years ago. And, you know, they have just got normal jobs. You know, they work at Land Rover or they work in hospitals and factories and they work for the council and they, you know, they, they work at the local tip. And I've kept in touch with everyone um, because my friends then are my friends now. And of course, super busy. Everyone's busy. Don't see them that much. Um, but, yeah, I've never lost a friend I wanted to keep. Uh, and actually, everyone said, to be fair, oh, you've not changed. Um, and, uh, you know, that's it. I'm good. I hope I haven't changed. I don't really want to change. You're quite like me, <laughs> um, you know, in, in that sense. So I think just being, I want to surround myself with people that I really like, I trust and I respect. I don't care what they've got or haven't got. I just want to be around nice people. And, you know, 
we can all sort of see nice people. I'm oh, I'm wary of people I meet now, and they've only ever known me as of like the, you know the grenade hours in the last ten years. So, and I have made really good friends in the last um, uh, five years for sure, who've only sort of ever known you know this period of my life. But I'm a fairly good judge of character, and again, as long as I like them, I trust them, I respect them. You know, that's great. We can sort of be be friends. Yeah, I, d- I mean, I d- you, we've got no chance with you, Mel. You're fucked. Yeah, I'm totally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> is it just because of the hairline, bro? Pretty much the hairline and no shorts. <laughs> Those shorts. Yeah, just right. sh- shaving your legs, to be honest. Hey, got, any, any man it's, that's got time to shave it, their it, legs, it's, I've got... It's an Australian thing. It's an Australian yeah, thing. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just comfortable, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't know. I've not shaved my legs since I was... a. Well, I'm not saying I've ever shaved... I, did, I think probably I was about 15 when I competed, I shaved my legs, but that was about it. I was yeah. freezing all the time. Man, I like it because it's just it's just smooth. more comfortable, more smooth. comfortable, smooth, yeah, smooth. It's chilled. I'm comfortable with who I am as a man. I'm like, do you know what? I can shave my legs. You're not going to identify as a toaster now, are you? Mate, I'm not even going <laughs> to. I'm going to identify as Frankie Lee that shaves his legs. Lovely, that'll do. <laughs> done, done. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe we went there on the podcast, but we have, haven't we? We have gone there. We yeah, have so gone yeah. There. But, I've got no filter. But obviously, with with when you when you pivot out of your other brands and you start Grenade, you. What did you did you come up with the concept for the brand first, or did you come up with the name and then put a concept to it? Uh, so I'll tell you the order which it happened. We actually had the the, the product first, which was just the the capsule, the fat burner itself. So um, spent oh. spent a couple of years um, working again, just being interested in nutrition training. There's no such thing as a magic pill. Um, there wasn't but, then, but, there but, isn't but, now. but did you start making that pill, uh, as in these pills? Do you start making them because you wanted them personally? Is that how you? Pre- is it? Because, pretty much. Because there's a lot of people out there, Al, that are starting brands all the time that they're doing to start to to make money. And I think the best brands, like what you've built with Grenade and everything, and other brands that I've had on, like the the brands, they've made it because they they have a genuine interest in in it, f- making something for themselves, quite selfishly. Yeah, and I think they're the best brands, to be perfectly honest. I think you can potentially have three types of, of, of brand. I've known, well, in I'm in the fitness industry, and I have been all my life, and I probably will be the rest of my life. And I, I found with working in gyms and being around supplements, I saw three types of, of brand owner or entrepreneur or gym owner, let's say. There was kind of the very, very hardcore bodybuilder, let's say, then who just um, started a gym because it was an extension of their hobby, yeah. And they loved it and they knew nothing about business and it wasn't about making money, but that that was their hobby and they wanted their, their job to be the hobby. Fine. Um, you then saw people who really got no interest in fitness, who wanted to open a gym or be in the fitness industry just to make money because they were business people. And it was a growing industry and it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you make money in the fitness industry? And then I think, and you know, that's fine. And I think both of those get so far but i think that every now and again you probably get someone like um ourselves and and in my case someone who's been in fitness the whole life really enjoys it um but actually knows a bit about business as well and then i think that's a a, you know a great combination where you've got a bit of acumen or you can learn the acumen but you've actually got the passion as well because you're right i think if you're going to start a business whatever it may be and you aren't solving a problem let's say that you personally have or have had uh, or you think others might have I'm, I'm not sure necessarily if the business will, will work so uh, I mean I was a supplement distributor and I you know we came up with Grenade um, to, to 
do things that the other brands we felt weren't doing. I'll give you an example. So we were importing supplements from the States. The American supplement market obviously is huge and incredibly saturated. And we were importing all sorts of products with a distribution business um, pre-Grenade. And learned very quickly, again, being a user of supplements and selling these to friends and, and, and customers and clients and, and whatever, we learned quite quickly that um, a lot of the best marketed product was just that. It was just marketing and nothing else. And then there was a lot of very a great effective product and it was kind of badly marketed. And we thought, actually, why can't we make a really effective product that's well marketed? And we always go back to the likes of Red Bull, of just, you know, very simple. Anyone can come up with that drink. Um, there's nothing super clever is about that, it's it. It's actually it's actually a drink in Thailand. Wasn't That's it? right. Yeah, the, yeah it was a, it was a, an energy drink in Thailand, and they sort of tweaked it for like the Western market. Um, and then again, you know, they, they've created that brand in a can. And I thought that in terms of say weight loss, I thought well, at some point most people are going to want to lose weight. Um, and um, I'm I'm really interested in the science behind products, which is always there with Grenade. We never put it at the forefront because, frankly, it's difficult to market and people aren't interested, and it just people find it boring. So the science is always there, and like you know, we're in form sport. Everything's tested for parts per billion, which we don't have to do. It's really expensive, and no one really knows we do it, but we do do it because I think it's a nice thing to do. Um, but all the science is there, but. Um, generally just people kind of want a magic pill there's no such thing and but certain certain things um certain ingredients you know help with certain aspects of dieting that we know people struggle with so people get tired on dieting so we found a very specific form of caffeine which was um hits your body quite quickly but it's released very slowly um you know certain forms of uh of, of green tea there are certain ingredients you have which help to suppress appetite um and uh, you know we 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 after sort of a couple of years, we found quite a clever combination of ingredients, which actually looks extremely simple, which everyone's tried to copy, and no one's ever done it as well as we have, to be perfectly honest. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, as an effective weight loss formula, where we know um, the studies we did back in the day, you know, you'd burn 20% more calories versus placebo. Well, again, not a magic pill. If you're eating too much, you're eating too much. But who wouldn't take that, you know, 20% advantage over a placebo? Um, so developed it and, and we thought this is a really good formula but we sat on it for a couple of years because we didn't know what to do in terms of how to market it you know coming back to the generic white bottle we just you know and they all these fat burners with weird names that no one could pronounce or remember like mk mk11 fucking oh yeah i mean at the time you know just xenadrine and hydroxycut and all this sort of stuff and um you know zedra this and, and whatever and people were like what and they um, had a lot of naughties in them as well didn't they um, yeah, so, but yeah, yeah there was a, a lot, lot of ephedrine in a lot. Yeah, of them. so that again, that was something again, which back in the day, specifically with Ma Huang, it was it was legal. So we never had that with um, uh, with grenade, but it was it was legal at the time, especially in the US. And our American version back in the day, had Yihimbi in, um, but which was never allowed in Europe, so we never had a European version. But yeah, you're right. You know, we wanted to make sure we had the most effective product in each territory, and. Um, this was stuff that, you know, yeah, back in the day, got in the early, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, in fact, even in many states, no ephedrine's perfectly legal in the US. Um, it's obviously not legal over here, but, you know, this is what you're competing with. And again, there were like all these new ingredients popping up all the time, like DMAA, which was in Jack that you mentioned. And we were, we never wanted to use that 
product, so that ingredient, because we knew it would get banned. But we wanted the best, most effective, cleanest product that we could, you know, and to get through informed sport, as I've mentioned. Um, but you're competing with stuff that, yeah, that's naughty, that just kind of comes and goes. And all these massive brands that were doing hundreds of millions in turnover a few years ago that we would kind of only dreamt of, of doing now have all long since gone bust. Um, you know, for for those reasons, have they, have they gone bu- have they gone bust by the legal ramifications of the drugs that were involved in? Yeah, the stuff? just various lawsuits. Again, they all tend to get sold and bought out by big corporates who've kind of messed it up along the way. Yeah. A lot of pharmaceutical companies bought supplement companies because the supplement industry was and that the sports nutrition industry was not as regulated as the pharmaceutical industry was. So you can make claims in sports nutrition which you couldn't make in pharma. But subsequently, all that's been um, tightened up, and rightly so. So we always played the straight game um, with Grenada. Many didn't, but it 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 was it paid off. I think uh, to to kind of you know play with a straight bat, so to speak. Um, so how long how how long were you refining it, and what was the kind of cost? Because obviously you started Grenada with zero money when you launched it into Body Power and all that that year that you put it out. Yeah. There. So, but how much did it cost to kind of even get the product right to start with? I mean, not a lot because it was just all trial and error with ingredients and trying different things and trying different formulations, different brands thinking I like this, I don't like that, um, putting different things together. Um, but you have to go to a special. You have, you have to go to a special kind of place to get a supplement kind of. No, get- not really. No, not necessarily. Because remember, I was in the supplement industry, so I got access to various suppliers, various ingredients. So I was, you know, I'd got contacts sort of worldwide at this point. But in a nutshell, we sort of came up with the the formula around about sort of two thousand and six. Um, but then it wasn't until the 2010 that we actually launched the, the, the product. So it was kind of four years of refining, um, trademarking. And you, and you and used wor- it yourself. Yeah, and using it, you know, trial and error. And actually w- working out sort of exactly um, what, what the, the, the plan might be. And, we, you know, even trying to trademark it. So, like, you know, we applied for trademarks, got some, didn't get others. Because um, Grenade must be a hard name to trademark. Yeah, it, it was actually, and certainly getting it in the likes of the US. Um, and yeah, that's a that'd be a whole other podcast in doing that. But yeah, subsequently, twelve years on, we've ended up with north of two hundred trademarks, design marks, pending patents. We've been it's a very copycat industry. So we from day one, we always really wanted to make sure we'd sort of protect it. And there's always people infringing on our trademarks. Um, so you know there's always stuff going on um, there but um, going back to your original question about an hour ago <laughs> about what came first we'd sort of got the got the capsules then it was you know and we're running a distribution business at this point you know so we're sort of and what were you tur- what was that, and what was that business turning over oh the turnover probably of that business would have been oh back in the day maybe about a million quid something like that a year for the distribution business and that was just me driving around in a van um, delivering supplements kind of sale or return sold that business to my uh, my best friend um that business sort of still um still uh, operates and, and still does well um so he then subsequently grew that business but yeah i kind of sold that went to focus on uh, grenade full time and actually it was something we started as a hobby which sort of turned into an obsession and um yeah they i was i was out kind of running one day and i'd sent some of these capsules to a friend of mine who was in special forces he was actually training for the special force at the time and he rang me on a sunday morning and he said oh I'll try those capsules he said it was like i swallowed a grenade um and it was uh we thought you know well, let's let's try and get this name let's and actually the, the name won't be enough let's try and get a, sh- a you know a, a bottle that looks like a grenade and really go all in because supplements is a very gimmicky industry more so back then and we kind of took the gimmick 
to the, ne- the next level, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, and and weirdly, one of the fa- my favourite reviews ever of, of that the, the, the fat burner products from say t- two thousand and ten was someone reviewed and just said, oh, he said, you know, it's such a gimmick. I really wanted to hate this product. He said, but I just love it. And actually, our resale rate was like off the charts. It was north of eighty percent. So I've always said, you know, selling something to someone once is probably fairly easy but if someone just keeps coming back time and time and time again we wanted to build that brand we didn't just want to make stuff and sell stuff we wanted to create a brand that we cared about and therefore so would others and if you can create something that other people care about as well I think you're onto something really special um and like I said all that really comes from comes from founders yeah, and and that's why I, I'm glad you went into that because I think it's so important that whatever you do in any form of business that you have an interest in, it's like me with this podcast and everything that I'm trying to build with it. I fucking love it, so it's so it's easier to drive around the country because yeah, stuff. it's not work because yeah, it's not because it's not work to me. You know, you know, you see, it's easier to spend cash on something you love and sink it in, isn't it? Yeah, I can't imagine people start an entrepreneurial business just because they really want to torch themselves with lots and lots of hard work and no pay. <laughs> you know, you've got to be doing something you love. So for the first four years, from like 2010 to 2014. Um, we never took a salary. We never took a day off. I mean, my accountant was like, what are you doing? <laughs> he used to regularly say, what are you doing? Um, because, you know, we wouldn't even take the 500 quid a month that we should be taking just to sort of pay our national insurance because we just didn't, didn't really feel we could take it out of the business because it, it, it was wearing nappies, you know, it was so protected because when you grow a business and a brand, it's so inherently risky and look you know it's it's risky now but you know it, it, it had its risks in 2010 we were just coming off the back of that other financial crash and you know the best time to start a business is always 10 years ago um yeah. you know so it was a you know it, people say oh you've missed the market back in 2010 um so and you know the second best time to start a business is probably today <laughs> um but you know it, so i'd say to anyone and i get asked this a lot people always say oh, i really want to start a business what should i do and you think we'll start it because yeah. if you don't start it, you've already failed. Because the people what, are scared of failing. Is that what holds most people back? Yeah, they're scared of failure. And, and ultimately, um, but, you know, failure is your friend. So as long as you realise quickly, if, you, if something, you know, if you've got a long drawn out failure um, and you don't pick up on the failure, then yet, yeah, you know, it's a disaster. But What was your biggest failure? Oh, my biggest failure. Um, let's have a think. I mean, I always think I've always learned from failure, so I've never considered them to be failures. But, 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 I mean, but in but in that moment, in that moment, it felt like one to you, like a real big kick in the teeth. Um, yeah, we've always turned them around, but you know, we'd have things like say we'd have had an issue with capsules at one point where we had capsules that were cracking, and you know, we'd made millions of them. But you know, we worked with our suppliers and and we got round it, and ultimately, it was we couldn't possibly have known it wasn't something we did where we messed up. Um, we, we we launched a product called Black Ops. We made the capsule black. Generally, you don't get black capsules. Um, and we thought it was quite good to kind of was have... Was that the, the black grenade? Yeah, the black yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the, um, yeah, kind of the, the more intense, shorter version of thermodetonator as such. And um, But what we learned there was the reason most people don't have black capsules is because you need a higher moisture content because they dry out and then they dry out and they crack. So... We didn't know that, so we learnt it, and then, you know, you move on. Um, was it a failure? 
like I said, I don't think we could possibly have have, have known that. Yeah. And and again, you know, one of our guys who was working on it, one our supplier, had been in the caption industry for twenty years, and he didn't know. So, like I said, we 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 worked together on it. We sorted it out, and and, and we learned from Do it. You I think have just to recall a hell of a lot of product for that. No, not many. We were expecting to, um, but in the end, it was really tiny. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that happens now, like at the minute, you know, we're we're facing monstrous inflation. But we can't do anything about it. So if it was something we could fix, we'd go and fix it. Um, all we can do is just make the best decisions we can. And I always try and put the brand first, because if the brand does well, it's not bad for anyone. So I think of the brand as like a, you know, an inanimate object, as like a third person that we must try and try and protect. But I think we um, just all you can do is make just the best decision you can based on the information that you have at the time. And if it turns out it's the wrong decision, realise quickly, uh, you know, adapt. Don't be afraid to to backtrack, make it the right decision and then kind of move on. I think sometimes people commit to something. They realise they've made a mistake, but they're committed and they don't want to backtrack and they kind of keep keep committing and Is think, that well... a pride thing? Yeah, I think it's pride and almost they kind of don't want to necessarily chuck good money after bad. But I think sometimes you just have to sort of rip the band-aid off and just think, do you know what, This we shouldn't have done this. So with hindsight, I've got products that we've launched that I wouldn't have done. Um, but it wasn't because it wasn't a good product. It was just because it, it didn't sell or we had manufacturing issues that we couldn't overcome or um, something it, happened that was in unforeseen. Terms, in terms of product, what was your what was your biggest thing that you were so hyped about but failed? Uh, so we did a product called Killer Coffee. So we did a, and again, super clever product. And, and in fact, we were, we were probably a bit early on this one in the sense that now coffee in a can is kind of a thing you can go to starbucks and costa and they've got coffee in cans well we kind of saw that coming because you can buy everything else in a can you buy water in a can now so we had this idea of having kind of coffee in a can that was high protein low sugar and we called it killer coffee and because the bars were doing so well the carb killer and um in fact did they predate the bar it was around the same sort of time i think might have just predated the bar um, and again, it was a it was a, a clever product of a you know a sort of a sugar free protein drink that was just like drinking a, a cold brew coffee. Um, and as we always do, we spent quite a lot of time and effort on it. And we learned sort of two things: coffee is a very very individual thing. So we could only so if you go into a Starbucks, the menu looks fairly simple, but actually there's thousands of different permutations. And actually, we were just making one. We were making basically a coffee that was milk-based, um, that was sugar-free, high-protein, low-sugar. So if you like black coffee, for instance, this probably wasn't the drink for you. <laughs> so it, it, I think that we realised with that that um, we sort of made a product that was potentially, we thought would be for everyone, but just everyone likes coffee a slightly different way. You know, if you like sugar, again, this didn't have sugar. If you um, If you don't like caffeine this had got caffeine in it so every time you come to like a, a junction we kind of made a decision and i think we were probably there were less and less and less and less people this product actually applied to um, and we ended up with a product that was probably too niche was was the first thing that we learned the second thing we learned as well is um the can that we used was and we used the same can that red bull used so it's a very very standard um you know well tested can and we just found the can kept splitting and we just couldn't solve it. And ultimately what we learned was that the reason this can works for Red Bull specifically is because it's, it's carbonated. Therefore 
you've, there's pressure the in pressure, the can yeah, 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 and it yeah, actually yeah. gives it a lot of rigidity the can itself is actually extremely flimsy um and again it's the same can we use for energy drinking now um, yep. but again it, it works for a carbonated drink whereas if you just put milk in and it's flat the can's crap <laughs> and it gets knocked and it splits and then unfortunately the can splits and milk leaks and something that's milk based that leaks isn't great because it goes to smell pretty bad pretty quickly and then you lose one can which makes you lose the whole tray then you lost the whole when you lost the whole tray you've sort of lost the whole layer of the pallet and then you've almost lost the whole pallet and when you've lost one pallet of a delivery of 30 pallets you've kind of lost the whole delivery so the amount of times we had product going into a supermarket 30 pallets worth and one can split and they rejected the whole order and it was just again was it a failure Yes. No. <laughs> but no, because it taught you so much about how you now can the energy drinks and why you only use it for carbonate. We're always learning. I've had people, um, I won't give any specific examples, but I've had people come up to me in the past and sort of like, that have worked for Grenade and, you know, kind of offered the resignation because they've messed up on something really badly and it's cost us a load of money. And I've looked at it and just thought, yeah, I wouldn't have, yeah, that would have caught me out as well, you know, and actually, have we learned from it? Um, yeah, okay, let's not do that again. Yeah, and no, you're not leaving. <laughs> you know, so and, 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 and rejected the resignation. You know, when you reject that resignation, just a ballpark figure, what had that mistake costed the company? Uh, that one specifically was 200 grand. Right. Um, and yeah, it's horrible, but I actually felt worse that someone had come to me and they were so upset about it. They thought the only solution was to kind of leave the job that I know they love and they're fantastic. And, and again, and I, I, and I looked at it specifically and I remember the error and, and I looked at it and I said, oh, I wouldn't have seen that. I wouldn't have noticed that at all. It was to do with the <laughs> something got printed and it got printed the wrong way around because we're so used to printing stuff around the world and like US dates and they're reversed and different. And that basically there was a printing thing that had gone through and um, they kind of got the the best before and the production date mixed up. So basically, it expired a year before it was made, and it was just. And how many how many like cans or bars have been yeah, labelled like that? A lot. <laughs> yes, yeah, so two hundred thousand quid's worth. So um, what, a lot. When, when you do when something like that happens, and obviously it costs you two hundred grand, what do you do with the product then once you've got it made? Can you rewrap it or? Yeah, is it- sometimes we do. To be fair, again, it's something that's you know incredibly rare. Um, we and you know stuff happens you can't control. I'll give you another example. So you know because I'm looking at that can of energy. We launched Energy at the start of 2020. Big campaign. Been working on the product for quite a while. We'd actually wanted to do a functional energy drink for a, at least 10 years. The first, first prototype can we had for Energy, I've still got, and it's 2012. Um, and I'd always wanted to do a functional energy drink because, you know, we've talking about the likes of Red Bull, which are all amazing brands I look up to, but I don't consider that a functional drink. You know, we, we've become famous really for that that protein bar, which for me is a functional chocolate bar. You know, it's it tastes as good as a chocolate bar, but it's high protein, low sugar. It's just got functional benefit. Whereas a chocolate bar is very nice, but there's no functional benefit. You know, you're not having it for recovery or whatever. You're not getting the protein content out of it. So I think if we can disrupt the confectionery market and make a functional chocolate bar effectively, I think we can probably disrupt the energy market and make a functional 
uh, more functional energy drink and lots of people are trying so um you know will it work who knows having good fun doing it but we we, we came up with um the, the launch again we got big retailers behind it you know tesco putting a um a, a big order on whatever we got front of store um you know in the meal deal section so you know ticking all the boxes that you dream of to launch a, a drink it was due to be launched in um i think it would have been sort of july of 2020 and uh, of course covid hit in the march and again what was at the front of store in january 2020 which was meal deals and energy drinks and stuff like that wasn't at the front of store come july yeah. it was toilet roll and yeah. hand sanitizer and no one's at work so they're not doing meal deal well who knew so we end up like you know a lot of cans i don't remember how many it was but it might have been 500,000 cans and then tesco specifically delayed the launch you know and, and why wouldn't they because things had changed um but then of course we've got product we've made and it's not getting better with time so we just donated the whole lot to the nhs and they were really grateful so you just find a good home for it basically yeah um, and obviously on the back end of that it's good for brand as well because obviously now you've got now you've got frontline staff who needed energy for, yeah, what, they were, for what they were dealing with we, we, we just took the best out of a bad situation yeah. for, as an, from a bad business situation and i will as long as i'm ceo at grenade and and again you know even just in my personal life, I'll just try and do the right thing. We all know what the right thing is. You know, it's not like a big mystery that people are, um, you know, uh, should confuse people. So we... uh, Why do you think, why do you think people, why do you, even though, look, I agree with you, Al, we all know what the right thing is to do. And sometimes we, sometimes when you're trying to do the right thing, you're going to have to take a hit on some money sometimes in business. We both, we both know that because we both took big hits before. Do you you know why? Do you know why? Because integrity is expensive. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. I love. Do you know what? I've integrity never, is incredibly expensive. I've never fucking heard that. So integrity is expensive. Expensive. I, I won't that, is you, a pa- I, that is a fucking powerful statement. Yeah, that is. I won't tell you who told me that, but um, why? Because uh, he's, <laughs> he's incredibly well known. <laughs> right. um, so I and and the reason that he said that statement to me was. Um, I was on holiday a few years ago with someone extremely well-known in the business community and he wasn't himself. And I just said to him, are you all right? You don't see yourself." And basically he was having some business dealings um, with someone out in the, the Middle East um, and certain things had come out in the, the press and basically he wasn't sure he wanted to be in business with these people anymore. Um, and they'd got a billion dollars invested in his business, one of his businesses. And um, the reason he was thinking was he was thinking of all the people he could go to to get a billion dollars off that, that, that weren't these people he was currently using. And actually, he said he, he rang um, he rang these individuals and just said, like, tell me this isn't true. And they there was a pause, and he said, as soon as they paused, I knew it was true, and I just couldn't be in business with them. And I was like, I didn't know what to say because that's a lot of money and whatever. And he just said, integrity is expensive. And I just never forgot it. But again, you see, if you can learn. I think that's one of the most powerful lessons I've ever heard dropped on this podcast. I really do. Like, that is when you. When I mean, it's you, quite a low bar, to be honest, Frankie. So. Wh- wh- <laughs> mate, <laughs> no, I'm, ser- I'm fucking serious, Al. Like, that, th- you, you think that's just a few words. But to me, that's made a profound impact on when you just said that because I've never, I've never heard something so simple just punch me between the eyeballs and, and resonate with me so much. I know it's going to resonate a lot with the audience as well because 
integrity is expensive is is so fucking simple but the best things are simple and it just punches yeah. people it just punches people when you said it it just punched it just punched mate it's it's phenomenal and i think i know i think i know who you're talking about but like at the end of the day when when you've when you've got your when you've got your what you put your name to defines you oh yeah definitely yeah without a shadow of a doubt and like i said look i'm competitive because i think entrepreneurs are and i'm i'm either going to give it my absolute all or i'm just not going to bother <laughs> this kind of i've just got no halfway house for me everything's black or white there is no gray and and, and you know for me if i'm really going to go for something um you know there'll, there'll be i mean you know if we go back to say the, the early days of grenade um you know it was kind of it was you know we found, I founded it with with Jules my wife at the time and we both got this mindset where no one was going to be working harder than we were. No one was going to have a better brand. No one was going to sample more. No one was going to have a better product. You know, we would, if we failed, we could always turn around and go, do you know what? We got for everything we, we'd got because, you know, it, it was at one stage we were down to sort of 27 quid. You know, we thought we'd lost the house and, um, and you know 27 pounds oh 27 quid we got yeah dan and, and we were like god what do we do if we lose the house and we just said if we lose the house and we end as long as we're together you we just as long as we're together we'd go and live anywhere you know wherever it would be and we we just we'd go and dig holes um you know if i hadn't got any money and i'd, I'd need to go and do something i'd go and dig holes for a tenner a day and I'd, I'd i'd just dig and at the end of the day and you know, i'd have 10 quid more than I started with. And I think we've just kind of got the mentality. And I, I got that from my family who worked for themselves. My dad, who I mentioned, like I said, was a heavy goods vehicle mechanic. They've just got this ridiculous work ethic, which going back now generationally, I'm not sure that work ethic is the same with a, you know, a 20-year-old today as it would have been with a 20-year-old 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, I just think, you know, my parents stuff, they grew up, you know, without, a, a, a lot um i mean even with me i didn't go abroad till i was like 17 um and nowadays like everyone's kind of goes abroad at much yeah. it's just more accessible I, I, I was a teenager before i'd ever stepped to step to mallorca for my first holiday do you know what i'm saying so I, I've, I've i fully i fully get that but one of the things that i think is remarkable about your story especially in regards to you and jules is obviously Obviously, you 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 break up and you go through all that, but you still remain friends. You know, you worked hard in business together. How, obviously, a lot of people go into relate uh, go into business with their partner, and then it might not work out. What's your kind of what's your kind of like? How, what's your insights into into that dynamic and how and how to keep that on a good footing? I get asked a lot about oh, I want to go into business with my partner, and this is going to ask a real cop out answer. It was the best and the worst thing we ever did. There's no way we'd have built the brand had we not been fully engrossed in it 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. If we were awake, you know, we were talking about it, we were working, it was just, it occupied every breath. And I think that's the best thing about dealing with your partner. And they understand, and it's lonely being an, an entrepreneur, it's lonely starting a business, it's lonely being a CEO. Um, there's a lot more people you can talk to now. There's more mentorship out there. There are more people who are possibly able to help. You've always got more benefit of hindsight as you get older. But ultimately, it's a lonely spot. And I think if you can do it with your partner, there's just one person that understands. And you've almost got your first 
customer in a way, your first client, because it's it's each other. Yeah. You know, you've already convinced that first person to do it with you. And that's what you're doing with a brand. You're having something that hopefully you would want or use yourself, as we've said. And then you just have, just have to convince others. And actually, it's simple. If, you know, if I like that bar, I'd eat that bar. Why wouldn't other people? Um, it's a simple thing. Right? I think people really have a complicated business. So in one hand, it was fantastic um you know doing it with with my wife but on the other hand then there there is no there's no marriage yeah. anymore there's no relationship you are business partners and we found ourselves just every night talking about work moaning about work moaning about someone at work moaning what they'd done you know blah blah and it was kind of you sort of getting this bit of a a, you, a doom loop yeah. potentially you you went from being in a relationship to just being business partners but but it, but it probably happened at 1% daily over a long time that's but, right yeah but, yeah but, but, but then, which has allowed you, you've obviously amicable and all that stuff, and it's real good now, like in terms, in terms Jules of. Jules and I are great friends, but yeah. we've always been great friends. We always will be great friends. I've got multiple businesses still with, uh, with Jules. And um, yeah, do I regret what we did? Absolutely not. I'll do it all again. Um, but yeah, the, the, the flip side is I wish we'd probably had, uh, you know, a business relationship and the brand and then made a bit of time for ourselves. Yeah. That was probably a mistake. Maybe that was a failure that we, you know, we didn't do, yeah. but the problem but, is, but, 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 but it can't be a failure because now you're probably both happy with other partners and doing other stuff. So it's worked out for the best for everyone. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, it's a, it's it, the, the problem with say having a brand as well. That's a brand is never finished. So, and that's why I wanted to have a brand because you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, being successful. Well, to be successful, you've kind of got to get somewhere. And I'm not there yet because I don't know where there is. And I quite like having a brand in the sense that it's never finished. It always evolves and develops and you'll have highs and lows and stuff like that. But as we went around the world, there wasn't a country that we'd go to where we didn't have distribution there or, um, you know, retail there. I mean, you know, you could be in the most random parts of, of Canada, really in the middle of nowhere, and we got a product and, you know, go to a store and our product's there. So it was like we just couldn't ever get away from it. Yeah. We were in 135 countries at one point, which in one hand is fantastic, but then you just, everywhere you go, you've sort of got the brand in front of you. Um, and you've got to get this distribution as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, we we never fell out of of love with grenade i think we came close because there comes a point then where it's sort of it's become so consuming and it's sort of such it's a big monster all of you. yeah that um you, you can end up having you know almost all all that's left of you is just that that brand i guess it's a lot like having kids you said we've never had kids so but i'd imagine when you've created something that you want to protect and care it's about like and child, nurture yeah. it is like having a having a child so um, and then you know ultimately we've exited the brand which is a bit like then selling your kids in a way <laughs> so that's quite difficult but, as well but you've you've sold different parts of business at different times do you yes, remember so, do you remember that first time you got a big offer for for a piece of your business and what you thought of yeah so we thought we always thought we we you know we built the brand to exit because Although we were never bothered about the money because we didn't have any kids, we didn't see the point of building a monstrous business and then it kind of went nowhere. So we'd always thought we'd, we'd, we'd probably sell it. There were no real plans to when we got approached a lot. Um, and yeah, we learned a lot through those journeys of, of, of doing deals and, and stuff as well. Um, and again, you know, with hindsight, there are certain deals I would have done and certain deals I wouldn't have done, but you've all just got you know we're all clever with hindsight if i come back again i invent a retrospectoscope i'd do certain things differently but um you know we 
always took the option of say when we had money offered to us there was money on the table you know do you reject it all do you accept it all I quite like the halfway house approach so generally what we do is we probably take half and roll half so if it was a, a bad deal and you know yeah we could have had more but we could have had less and I've known people do so I think I'm always fairly comfortable with with how we've sort of done the deals and what we've got out of it because I've had friends offered money for businesses and it's been in the billions and they've had you know been in the business for four years been offered like 1.2 billion for it um and uh they've turned it down and I was like oh, it's a lot of money <laughs> it's a lot of money ah oh, but we can get more how much more do you want you know it's like um yeah, I think, you know I, and I, then I, I, valuations I, go up and down I think you've did you did you kind did you and Julie kind of know a, a, a kind of fit did you have a figure in your mind when you started in terms of what we're going to exit for no not really no we right. hadn't really sort of thought of to be honest we hadn't thought about exit we just worked we hadn't which it hadn't really occurred to us we built a valuable business and that sounds stupid people probably don't believe me when I say that but we were just we were so much in the brand we hadn't really stepped back to kind of look at the brand um and I, and I don't think we necessarily realized what we were creating as we were creating it other people told us stuff that that we didn't know I'll give you an example so after the fir- our first year of business you know pretty tired haven't had a day off got no money you think you know is this working but you're just kind of getting up and you're committed to it because you believe in what you're doing and you're getting good feedback but then a competitor rang us up and said you're the number one selling fat burner in the UK now and we didn't know that you know a competitor told us we're like great but the thing is this is that thing about success and being there well, well, why, why did they then? ring you and tell you that for because everyone likes Grenade <laughs> and I think everyone likes the brand and it, it, it liked us so you'd got competitors kind of rooting for us because they worked for look like I'll tell you who it was I mean it was Maxi Muscle was sold to GlaxoSmithKline probably you know whatever it was uh, you know maybe about 2010 2012 something like that so they were kind of a competitor but we were like you know Alan Jules from Grenade and then you've got Glaxo who were worth you know tens of billions we were competing but we sort of weren't because that was a big corporate giant and th- the people there then um had sold Maximus and exited so the the people at GSK that kind of inherited that brand who bought the brand were sort of employees there but um, I think they were sort of potentially lots of people have lived vicariously through myself and Jules because they work in a corporate but they're watching Jules and I you know as the the plucky entrepreneur and you know sometimes you're up sometimes you're down but I think lots of people would like to do that but then don't necessarily take the leap or they've you know again they've got wives and mortgages and kids and car loans and they can't afford to um, take the risk of starting a business and it failing but they're looking at someone who is kind of running that business and I think they always some of these businesses always inherently look a lot more successful than they are you know we'd turn up with a you know a tank at a show and make a big statement but you know we'd got no money in the bank you know we probably were down to like you know tens of pounds at that point but on the surface of it it looked were there, like you, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. oh my god these guys are really successful so the the the, the, the sports nutrition industry is, is is an industry I've never known any other industry like it where the perception is just more important than the reality for some reason and I think that's why I just dislike social media because the perception's one thing but I just know the reality isn't is, is different so I've always just tried to be me what you see is what you get how you I'm in reality is how I am on social media which isn't probably akin to building a monstrous social media profile but I actually don't want one I can't I don't really see what you achieve by having that and it it doesn't give me anything I don't have now 
Yeah, I think you, you've put so much time and effort into the brand as well that, that you've kind of, um, you know, stepped back yourself kind of because the brand came first. And, and when, but there's a lot of people, like you say, out there that, that are, it's more them than the brand. But they're not, then in, in terms of like the figures and the turnover, it's all smoke and mirrors when you, when it comes to actually when you strip it back to what the actual business is and what the figures do. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors with brands and you have to be really careful because again, I've known people build brands which are inherently themselves. I'll give you some examples, you know, Bear Grylls, Gordon Ramsay, George Foreman, yeah. you know, whatever. The problem is then you, they build a really valuable personal brand and um, business and then they come to potentially monetize it. And these are all, you know, very successful um, people. But then you can't kind of sell bits of it because it's you and you're not for sale. Or maybe you are, but I don't really want someone to own me. Um, well, David, so, well, David Lloyd, who owns, who, who owned all the... I know David, I know David yeah. Yeah, you probably, you probably know him personally. But I was listening to a podcast with David Lloyd and David Lloyd said the worst thing he ever did was sell his name. Yeah. He, he, so he, you he, said, find, he, he said he regrets that every day. Yeah, you will find that there's lots of stuff he can't do because someone else owns his name. But even actually, when we did the deal with Mondelez, and it was a fairly standard agreement probably from their perspective, we were sort of handed a 15-page, it's called an omnibus agreement, I'd never heard of it before. And it was it was all the stuff that they wanted to own, but it was like my name, my signature, my image rights. Your, like, your, your yeah, name. Which is just probably fairly standard for a deal of that magnitude this is um, the 72 million one. no this is the 200 million deal yeah, yeah um but we're like well no i've never used my image to sell product i'm not on any of the product i've never used my signature it's kind of a bit creepy that somebody wants to own your signature and stuff like that cause it's a little bit weird so we push back on it and you know they don't own my signature on my image rights and stuff they could they own stuff in relation to things i've said content i've created it's that's all, all absolutely fine um but my point being, if I, if that had been, you know, the the Alan Barrett bar, um, and I got my face on it, yeah, you you not you <laughs> you don't own your own face anymore, <laughs> you know, if you sort of sell the deal. So I know that, like with celebrities, it's a real issue with image rights and stuff. Because if you can have a valuable business that's not worth anything, because you you for someone to buy it, you've kind of got to sell your soul. Um, I think Karen Millen, um, with the 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 dress so she you know she's had to sold the name karen millen so she can't ever have um a, a clothes shop again in that name because she sold the name so i think that's kind of everything with clothing um out for her so um and you just got to be careful in these and, situations and that's, and that's pretty soul destroying isn't it? when 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 you strip it back she, karen millen who built that clothes store she was she probably started off as someone who's just really interested in clothes. So now she sells it. She might have all this money, but she can't do what she's most passionate about anymore. And yeah, and I, I don't know the detail beyond that specific um, uh, situation, but you know, I've I never we like so we have always put the brand first. I never wanted to be bigger than the the, the, the brand, um, and I I like the fact that everyone knows Grenade, and and, and I you know. I see just nothing but positivity for Grenade everywhere I go, which is which is brilliant. Um, but no one really knows me, so and the, but the only time that's kind of grates on me a little bit is when I'll interact with someone and the brand comes up, and then you know they'll say to me, and I get this quite a lot. They'll say, "Oh, do you work at Grenade?" or "Oh, do you like Grenade?" or something like that, and I go, "Yes, yeah, founder." 
I'm still the CEO. Yeah, yeah, and they've yeah. kind of got no idea. And it, it, it's weird because I think everyone, I don't want to be famous, but I think people like to be respected for having done a good job and hopefully being good at what they do. Everyone would like to be known for being good at what they do. Um, you know, I think so. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky situation, but personally, I, I couldn't imagine anything worse than being famous. I think I think I think you are more well known for what you've done as an entrepreneur than what you give it credit for. I think you're known by the by the right people as well. I think because within I, the industry, which yeah, is quite nice. Yeah, not, you don't not just within it. the industry. I think within with, within business in general. Like, and that's a lot of people that that know what you've done and and how you've built things. I think that's 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 massively massively kudos for you for that. Like, yeah, that, that's and it, and it's it's nice to be. I, I always want to make sure. I really want to stay. You know grounded and humble and that's difficult and I have my moments but I, I was in Cornwall the other week and um, someone collected a, a car to take a car for a service and we sort of got chatting um, and uh, yeah, and, he, and he said oh you know what what do you do and I said oh have you ever ran called Grenade and he, he got a bar in his pocket and uh, he got the, the bar out and he was like and um, and he, he said yeah like these and I said yeah and, and he said what do you do I said oh I invented that <laughs> and stuff and he's like he was so excited and then we sort of get chatting and this is god you know delivering cars for a living and we sort of we i said i'll oh, come in and i've got a little personal stash and i said oh this is some new stuff that we might never launch i'll try that try that if you have one of these yeah try that and stuff because i'm passionate about it so i yeah. like you know sharing the story and um he said, oh, he said, that was like being given a hamburger by Ronald McDonald. And it just made me smile. And I, I actually, I weirdly, I came in and just, again, I just shared it on LinkedIn. It had like half a million views, just have, that little story. Have you, have you ever thought about having like a YouTube channel where you share a bit of insights of your journey? Like, you don't, I know you're a private man, so you don't share everything and I don't expect you to. But have you ever thought about like give, giving a bit of an insight into who Alan Barrett is to, to everyone out there on, on like a weekly vlog or something like that or something bi-weekly? That I, you, I have. have. Add value to people like that. Um, I have, and I get asked to do it a lot, and I'm being asked to do sort of TV work and stuff. Um, it it feels a bit indulgent, to be honest. So I um, it's not something that necessarily comes naturally to me. I've got my own podcast, as you know, so I like doing pull the pin because it's just again, it's people I sort of I like and um, respect, and that on there, and we're just chatting about business, brand, and banter. Like you're never coming on, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, pe- people who people actually want to hear from. Um, but so I, I do that, and, and again, I've been but, shot at ever since I got here. By the way, I know. But filming something and having you know my own YouTube channel, and I sort of think, well, what's the point? I do like. I do like to be able to help businesses and, and potentially say stuff and save people some time and maybe some money by giving them some advice. That's quite fulfilling. So I'm passionate about entrepreneurship is, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I just I haven't probably quite found the right sort of uh, time to probably do it yet. There is there's there's some stuff coming up um, perhaps over the next uh, year or so um, on, on TV, which is interesting because it's sort of, again, quite a big platform and it, and it's quite entrepreneurial. Um, but again, you know, going back to what I said when I was sort of 13, 14 years old, um, I'll, I'll only do what I really enjoy. If I don't enjoy, if I don't enjoy it, I just won't do it. So I think it's got to be something I organically fall into. I don't, want to sort of leap out of bed and go i'll start a youtube channel you know and no, then sort no, of do no. all that because it just doesn't i should 
but it just doesn't when I, when I, feel when like I, a when I, when I say f- for YouTube YouTube for you wouldn't be you creating content though YouTube would be uh, like a videographer in my estimation of someone like yourself would be a videographer that follows you certain days and you document what you do so 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 you don't you don't ever actually create content the content is just you walking around it, it's a day in the life it's of, a day in yeah, the life so of my team are bugging just, me just, to do this just just, just <laughs> to give an insight so 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 you're thinking about content creation but i'm thinking no no you are the content just be just do you do what you normally do in a day and the, and the videographer will just pick up what you do and then whatever makes the edit makes the edit it just it just what it would do is it would it gives people an insight into who alan barrett is and it also it also it's also no more work for you yeah no no you you spot on and we probably will do elements of this i think again where i i struggle a bit is again you know i've got lots of nice things and i'm 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 privileged in the fact i get to do lots of nice stuff um and and i'm certainly not going to you know spend the rest of my life apologizing for having worked hard but i'm careful about what i share because i never want to come across as crass so i always try and do it in the in the the, the right way and I, I learned years ago that and i learned this actually with this client i mentioned i was, I was training at the time about being wealthy in his position and you know how you conduct yourself and i think you know it's how you conduct yourself is the most important thing you know what you do or don't have has no bearing on that and um you know he was always incredibly uh you know nice with me and i'd got absolutely nothing i was his personal trainer and um he was just always so polite respectful and like i, said, I learned a lot from him and again i'll give you an example of you know how you, how you sort of conduct yourself um on one of the occasions you know he'd got four ferraris and there was a new ferrari coming out and his ferraris were notoriously unreliable because he didn't drive him much and his car wouldn't start and i picked him up from his house took him to the gym we trained and on the way back home he said do you mind if we just drop into the ferrari dealership there's a new car coming out i would like to have a look at and I said, yeah, no problem at all. So there's me. I'm 17 years old, driving a Fiat Panda, earning 70 quid a week. And I'm going Ferrari shopping, you know, with these guys. This is amazing. So, um, you know, I'm sort of dressed like me. And he's got like a, a shell suit on. It might have been a Lacoste shell suit, but a shell suit nonetheless. This is the, uh, you know, the early 90s. Uh, we go into a Ferrari dealership and um, this guy comes over and uh, he, he, the, the salesman says, um, if you want to look at the cars, gents, um, you'll have to stand outside and look through the window. And and that probably wouldn't happen now. Um, and I was like, didn't know what to say or where to look. And I sort of looked at my, my client and he was just brilliant. He just kind of ignored the guy and he f- sort of made eye contact with someone at the back of the showroom that knew him because he bought a lot of Ferraris. And just said, hi, John, um, can I get two of these, please? And I um, I don't want him to serve me like that. And it was just yeah. like, and I just thought, boom, brilliant. And it sort of made him look like a bit of a cock, but it wasn't. The salesman ultimately was incredibly rude. Had he made him. a judgment because we walked in and were fairly scruffy and he dropped half a million quid on two cars there and then. Wow. You know, and I imagine the salesman didn't have a job the rest of that day, but it was just, again, just a, it was really powerful to watch because you read about this sort of stuff. And, and I, again, I learned from there, oh yeah, you never judge a book by its cover, do you? So, because you just don't know. Um, with people, so we're always trying to sort of treat everyone the same. If if I was to ask Alan Barrett what he would, li- if he if he could just leave one piece of wisdom behind, just one piece, right? And he's got to check out, so he can't take any of the stuff with him. Like what the golden piece of wisdom, the absolute golden piece of wisdom, the thing that you that, that stuck with you uh, f- 
right now in your mind as your best piece of learning and advice that you could give to someone who wants to be better, be more and all that stuff? What would you leave them with? Honestly, just be yourself. And it sounds really stupid, but I, I, I've just always been me and there'll be people that do like me and people that don't like me but I think ultimately hopefully I'm fairly likeable again I have my moments everyone does but I think you've just got to be yourself I think people spend and I think this is the thing again but going to social media people are always trying to be something else on social media they're trying to be what other people want them to be and they're trying to give this perception of success or um, whatever or you know what the perfect day might look like and and you know, again, I follow some really well-known people on socials, as we all do, or I, I know personally, and I just know it's bullshit. I know a lot of it's just bollocks, and I just can't watch it because I just think, I know that's not true. You know, I know that that's not your car. I know that that's not your, you know. So I find it difficult because I said of this perception versus reality, but I look at the perception, but I know the reality. So the, the, the problem then where you've got, say, someone following you around and having a day in the life of... Um, yeah, you know, I've got a lovely house and I might wake up and train. I've got nice cars and nice things. And, you know, I've, 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 I'm a pilot, so I fly backwards and forwards. Um, Congratulations, uh, you know, to, to, by the way, on the plane. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, there's actually a story of the plane I probably don't know about. Cause I, was, I bought a plane because I was in a plane crash. No one knows about this. So if you're interested about the plane crash, we'll get into that. I think you've got about 10 minutes left. Go, go on. Uh, I've, actually got, <laughs> I've actually got three minutes left. Um, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But, you know, so again, if someone, I don't know if they'll find this interesting, boring, um, flash, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's difficult because, you know, going back to sort of how you conduct yourself and stuff, I had a situation a few years ago, which you're going to learn from, where I went out with some friends um, for dinner and um, they uh, told me, uh, it was, uh, yeah, they told me during dinner that they were expecting the first child. So, you know, I paid for the meal as a sort of celebratory uh, congratulations. And they sort of took offence I paid for the meal. Um, to the point that the following day, I got a phone call and it was like, um, and actually Jules took the call. And I could sort of tell this the way this call was kind of going. Um, and um, and they were like, the people we've been out for dinner with and paid for the meal just said... Um, Oh, like, you know, we can't afford to pay for the meal because obviously they, they'd inferred by us paying for it that they couldn't afford to pay for it or something. So they just kind of chose, they, they, they to, chose, chose to take, to take offence. Take offense. And, and this is, you know, where we started the podcast where I think some people nowadays just wake up offended for whatever reason and then they just spend all day looking for what it is that's offended them. In which case, they've been bought a meal and they were offended. So I sort of, you know, three seconds into this conversation, I was bored. So I just said, um, oh, tell them they don't pay for the meal then if it's, you know, it's a problem. It's 200 quid. So, um, yeah, they owe me 200 quid. So, um, yeah, Jules said that. And then they were like, oh, well, well, oh, well, that, well, that's really mean. So it's like, hang on a minute. If I pay on flash, if I don't, I'm tight. I think, oh, just fuck off. You know, so could, I've spent my whole yeah. life now avoiding people like that. There's a name for them, twats. Um, you know, to, to, to be honest. So, but have you ever heard anything so ridiculous? I just, I just think that, like you say, how how you wake up and and you know those first moments of the day where you where you aren't even grateful for the fact that you're even alive and kicking and your family's healthy. If you don't start your day with a little bit of gratitude and a little bit of realization about what you do actually fucking have, then you'll go through. You, you'll start. To, you might stub your toe, and it all just fucking goes on from there, and you start to end up as this miserable bastard. Yeah. And there's a lot of miserable bastards in the oh, world. Oh yeah, there's I'm one of them half the time. Um, but you know what I've realised as well. With and I actually put this on LinkedIn um, the other week. Is the problem that 
people have on social media is they follow people who they look up to or they perceive successful or ultimately they follow people who've got more than they have. And then resent it, it. Yeah. Don't follow them. <laughs> right. Try following people who've got a lot less than you've got. Then you're automatically successful. Right. Because if I follow, you know, the Bransons and, and, and whatever, you're going to feel pretty shit about yourself because he's got his own island and I haven't got my own island. <laughs> so, you know, but you follow he's someone who's... got three islands. Yeah, he's got three islands, yeah. <laughs> so, um, greedy bastard. But if you follow someone who's getting shot at in Ukraine, you feel pretty good about yourself. So... That, I think, is the secret of success. You just compare yourself to people who've got less than you. And we all know people have got more than us, but we know people have got less than us as well. And I think if you can do that, you're not the most successful person alive. Because I think that's where I've got this issue as well. And I've said about, you know, generationally, and we've said about this cancel culture and whatever. And I see people have strops for just the most pathetic reasons. And again, I'll give you an example. I was in... Um, I was in Waitrose like um, a few months back. It was actually Christmas Eve, and there was a woman in there who was having a go at the poor guy behind the fish counter because they didn't have any lobster. And it's like, oh my god, you don't have lobster on Christmas Eve? You know, it's just like that's not a problem. Same <laughs> the nice guy's problem, you know. But it's just like god, there are some vile people out there. So when I see these people going at people like that. I actually now feel more empathy towards them because I'm like, what, what, is, what is your real problem here? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not the, that. It's, it's not yeah. the fucking lobster. Yeah, the, it, there's something going on in this geezer's like this geezer might be moaning about lobster, yeah. but it's that's manifested not, but, itself. But but yeah. that but that's not the real truth. The real truth is something a lot deeper than the lobster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and again, you see it all the time in sort of like oh, again, I was a, I was in a coffee shop the other week and this. The woman in front of the coffee shop was so rude to the guy that worked behind the counter. And um, and, and he just sort of stood there and took it. And I was kind of shaking my head. And I was like, I, I, I actually, I, I said something because he couldn't because it was his job. And I just, I, I just spoke to this woman. I said, I can't believe you spoke to him like that. You know, and it was just like, and he actually said to me, oh, thank you. He gave me a free coffee. I said, I don't want the free coffee. I said, but he said, he said, I can't say anything. It's my job. And it's like, yeah, she hasn't got the right to come in and talk to you like that. You know, and, and she'd asked for this most ridiculous thing that he was never going to get right because it was some soy, vegan, triple latte, filtered, eggnog, decaf. Cap- and it was just like, what? You know, yeah. but again, you, you, you do sort of, like you said, you do think, some people, you know, God, what's going on in your life that sort of, um, you know, made you um, like this? But or, or they, uh, you know, in the case of the lobster, they sort of need, and I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but you sort of need some hardship in your life. If that's the worst thing about your day, you, you've not got enough shit stuff going on in your life, to be honest, because that's, that's your, your problem. But again, when you look at the stuff with, um, uh, you know, what's going on in, in Ukraine and, and stuff as well, you just think you see people like walking 100 miles and they're carrying their cat. You know, and that's it. You just think, Jesus. And, you the know, ca- and their cat might be the only thing they have left because they've lost yeah. all their family and stuff. And you think you know? of actually, and I mean, I think about all the people that aren't carrying the cat because they ran off, or I mean, I couldn't carry my cat, so sort of just, you know, wouldn't stand it. But, you know, you, for every time you see like a nice story and they've got out with the pets and their kids and stuff, there's a thousand stories, you know, where they haven't. So there's so much going on. So I just think. Um, we all get wrapped up in our own lives and, and, and that, you know, as we've said, but I think it's important to um, be just really grateful what you've got. Like I said, I'm just, I was grateful when we first started Grenade that for the first four years I woke up and we hadn't gone bust overnight. I was grateful for that because <laughs> we thought, okay, we're going to have gone bust in the morning. Um, so, um, yeah, I've, I've, I always come back to kind of that being 
happy and healthy and if you are then yeah that's that's success really anything on top of that's a bonus isn't it yeah and and i think i think ultimately being happy and healthy is is success because yeah that, definitely because we, we we all we success to a lot of people all has a monetary number attached to it that when they get to that monetary number they're like oh, okay what's next then do you know what I mean? And there's no form of success after it. So it's kind, it's kind, it's kind, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of one of them ones where if if you don't if you don't appreciate what you have now, you're never going to appreciate all these other things that you think are success anyway. No, and and I've I've you know I've had money and not have money, and I, and I know what I prefer. But um, it's weird actually because I've, I've you know I've, I like cars, and people said about you know what's your favourite car um, and stuff. But my favourite car was the first car I ever had. Which was, was? that? It was a G Reg Fiat Panda, which was like six or seven years old. It's a little one liter carburetor thing, which is really unreliable, and it was kind of the worst car I ever had. But it was the best car I ever had because it was my first car. And and, and you I drove went, everywhere in that. I bet you did, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did actually. I did eighteen thousand miles in that. But my point being as well, if you go from, um, it's the biggest change I would ever make in terms of my transport because I went from walking everywhere. To, to having a car, that's a bigger change than going from a nice car to a nicer car. Yeah. yeah. That's a change, but not as big a change. So, yeah, that was the best car I ever had. You know, obviously, when you bought your first Lambo. Yes. Right. And obviously, you had a nice car, but then you, you buy this supercar, right? This is your first supercar, right? Yep. How long is it of you driving a Lambo before you think to yourself, okay, is that, is that, is that, all there is to it or or does that never go no for me never so and i'll tell you for why because i know it because also as well it's just a car it's the icing on the cake i'm lucky to have any car and having any car is better than having no car but also i i try and keep things special i save up for stuff even though i don't necessarily need to save up for stuff i try and keep that bit of magic because if you don't things get boring i've got friends again who just do things that we couldn't really sort of comprehend again i'll give you an example a friend of mine they were out in in switzerland and um and it was that was a supercar launch and they've got all these different cars and stuff and again they just start sort of collecting cars and they're sort of forgetting the type of stuff that they've necessarily got because it all just becomes um stuff and then they decide that they don't want to be in Switzerland anymore. And they want to go, well, they want to go to a casino. So, but then they don't go to a casino in Switzerland. They go to a casino in like Macau or somewhere. So they jump on the private jet and fly to like, you know, the other side of the world at three o'clock in the morning because they can. And you just think, I think that's kind of, it's almost a bit, it's, it's a shame. You know, yeah, I just think it's yeah, almost yeah. like they're sort of almost so bored. They're doing some of the stuff that they just can. And I just think it's a monumental waste of money. And, you know, so I always make sure I savour what I've got. I like going for a walk on a nice winter's day. It doesn't cost anything. Anyone can do that. You know, so that's why I like, you know, I've always been interested in training and things. And, you know, you don't need money to train. Go for a run. It's free. Um, these are all things that if you can, if you can't enjoy the free stuff, you'll never enjoy the expensive stuff because... You you have to be able to enjoy just the the very the basics, um, and yeah. And if you if you can't enjoy the basics, I see. You know, I feel sorry for you. So, um, I, I, I and a lot of the time I drive an old Defender because I like driving. So whether it's an old Defender or a new Lambo, I'm just I'm just driving something that you know I'm yeah. I'm lucky to be driving. So I just try and take enjoyment out of um, as as much stuff as possible, really. 
Just one quick question, but and then we will finish. But like, I just want to. I just want to. Not asked about the plane crash yet. Uh, go, go, go into that after this, just quickly. But I'm conscious of your time. I know. I'm, I know you put me on a time limit because you said I didn't have enough hair follicles not to have a time limit. <laughs> but what I want to ask you is, when you when when someone of your level of of wealth or success buys a Lambo, right? Do you how do you structure that deal for a Lambo? Do do you just go in there and just you because you're talking about saving in your in inverted commas? Do you go in there and drop it all cash and just buy the Lambo, or do you still hire purchase them, or how do you structure the deals for that? I like buying stuff personally. I've done a bit of both, but the problem is I don't like borrowing money. I don't like um, being owed money or owing money. I'm just sort of a straight, simple guy. So personally, I just buy them. Um, I've had like aircraft and stuff and finance and it just annoys me that I'm just paying interest for something that's probably depreciating. So I get like a few months into it and I just pay it off. Um, I'm, I'm old fashioned in the sense as well that if I can't afford it, I won't have it. Again, this comes back to my parents and that generational thing they used to save up for stuff. And it's a bit like, you know, don't have what you can't afford. And I think nowadays everyone has what they can't afford, which I sort of struggle with a bit because that's why a lot of people are in the shit all the time. Um, if you can't afford it, just don't have it. I mean, like I said, you know, years ago, we couldn't afford a foreign holiday, so we didn't have one. We couldn't afford new clothes, so we didn't have them. No. Um, you know, so it, it's, it was important for me to to ask you that question because a lot of a lot of my audience with the with the age demographic they are, uh, they're, they're in ecom, they're in this, and they're seeing they're seeing they're seeing all these people with Lambos on Instagram that I personally know and you know are rentals. Oh, they'll all be rentals. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They'll all be yeah. rentals. Absolutely. And the people that, that I know that actually physically own Lambos, like in terms of, I'm talking about actually like you, that fucking own it. I fucking knew you'd pay for that before I asked you the question. But the, but the reason I want you to distill that information is because a lot of these people that, that follow people on social media see these Lambos, they're all rented. And just your method, you, you wouldn't have one if you couldn't afford one. Absolutely. And, and also, and, and I've got these people that are sharing and that's all they share. A friend of mine, actually, in fact, I'll tell you, it was, it's Paul Oz, who's the guy that we've mentioned before, we've done a lot of the artwork. I've got, I'm a, you know, Paul's an artist friend of mine. And he said to me a few months ago, um, he said, because he knows me very well, he comes around quite a lot. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, look, could this, the stuff that you could share, he said, you know, on socials, but you don't. I said, well, no, I don't really feel it. You know, there's, I try and share stuff that's got a reason behind it. So I'll do the odd car post, but generally there's a funny story behind it or there's a point to it. It's not just, oh, look at my supercar. Because I just think it's a bit boring. I'm not, I don't know why anyone would be interested because the internet's full of that stuff anyway, as you just said. So I'll try and put like a little, you know, like just a reason for sort of sharing that, not just look what I've got. Um, so yeah, I just think about that sort of stuff differently and the vast majority of stuff i just don't share um and we we were having a conversation about someone that we both mutually know on the uh, before the podcast and he's and he's got a fantastic car collection you'd never fucking know about it yeah it's quite nice (laughs) because people are quite what happened to being discreet yeah (laughs) but but again it's it's just a difference in generation so i'm not bashing like younger generations i'm just saying that every generation you get you know there's just you don't know what you don't know um, and 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 what you know we wouldn't do from forty years ago is very acceptable today. The stuff that you know we would do from forty years ago that isn't acceptable today. And you know, like I said, times change, but people don't necessarily. So um, yeah, I I just I need a reason to sort of share stuff specifically. I just I can't really see what 
Uh, a, yeah, a, yeah, you, what, you, what you gain from doing you it? Don't, you don't know how much value there is in what you've just said there about Lambos because it's that that is something that that really that really worries me about my generation and the generation after me is the fact that we're all massively exposed to the Lambo culture and the and the supercar culture, and we don't have enough information where people like you are distilling how you've how you've structured a deal to go and buy that okay well I've, I've done this this and this and this in business for fucking 12 years i've built a brand i've had 27 pound in my bank i've saved up even though i don't need to save i could go and drop this but i've saved up and then i've gone right okay now i can go and i'll buy it outright and i won't put it on socials because i don't need to, it's not for that it's for me Right, and it's also why they're buying it. It's like a lot of people that are buying it that I'm talking about are not buying it for themselves. Even they're buying it for the exposure, for this, for that, for that. And and I like the way that you've done it because you because you and that other person that we're talking about, mutual friend of ours, it, it's like it's not it, that you you buy them because you fucking love cars and you and it lights you up and that and that's what I wanted them to understand. Well, this week you have made a comment because I I shared my new plane, um, and uh, but and, I, and the only reason I shared the picture of the plane was because there was a story behind it. I don't know if you remember what the story was. I did read the story. The you've forgotten. There was, a, there, was a, there was something poignant there, which is obviously so poignant you've forgotten it. It was three days ago. But, the, the, but I wanted to talk about the crash as well. Okay, well, the, and the reason I shared my new plane was because I took the day off on Monday to see the delivery of my new I plane. I do not, I do not, I do, yeah, yeah be, because you missed the delivery. Because I missed the last one. Y- yeah, I did see, I did fucking read it. You, you looked at me like, oh, you haven't read the post. I yeah. did read the post, cause, yeah. Because you missed the delivery because you were so busy with Grenade and the brand. Because I was really busy at work. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and again, I, you know, this is a lovely plane, but it's not my first plane. <laughs> so it's back to the first car story. You know, the best plane you'll ever get is the first plane that you buy. <laughs> I know it sounds like a ridiculous story, but, you know, it, it's sort of, I've got friends saying to me, God, you've got your own plane. <laughs> but, but it's sort of, if you go and build a business, it's you know, not that difficult to go and buy a plane. But for me, I fly my own plane. Because yeah. for me, that's just the real entrepreneurial thing to do. Is not just to be flown around. Can we, fly can we, can we around. agree that you're taking me for a flight? I'll take now. you for a flight. You so, heard that, yeah. You, and I've got tens witnesses. of thousands of people have heard that. You know, you yeah. Know. I'm not just tens of yeah four. Oh, ten, go tens, easy. Tens of thousands ah. of miles. Um, so yeah, four listeners have heard that. But <laughs> <laughs> you've done me, man. Yeah. So I and yeah. So I was having a plane delivered about five years ago, and I got so wrapped up in work that. I couldn't leave to go, and who wouldn't want to go and see that? Yeah, you know, it's probably. I know it's probably not quite missing the birth of your first child, but it was kind of quite a big deal for me because it's something that ever since I've been in a plane crash, I wanted to go and do. So, um, and 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 this thing at work was so important. I don't even remember what it was, and I've got a really good memory, so it clearly wasn't important. Um, and uh, I missed that, and I made a point of not missing it this time because it's so easy just to have. Not, so, not gone. So, how does someone who's been involved in a plane crash like yourself want to go and buy planes? Uh, well, so basically, I've, I'm not like, I've never been some sort of avid aviation enthusiast, let's say, but I became interested in planes because we'd never used to go on holiday because we couldn't afford to go on holiday. So, and again, if you're going to go abroad, generally you're going to go on a plane. Um, so, I had the opportunity when I worked at the gym years ago, and I'd have been about 16, 17. Um, a guy came in the gym who had just got his private pilot's license um, and he was training to be an airline pilot and he needed to build his hours up. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I've, not, I've never been on a plane. Um, 
And uh, he went, you've never been in the plane? I went, no, I've never been in the plane. He went, I'll take you flying. He said, I'll tell you what, because I need to get my hours up. He was going to rent a Cessna from um, Coventry Airport, which was £60 an hour at the time. He said, there's four seats, and I'll pay for one. He said, you pay for the other three, and we'll go flying We're anywhere you want to go. So, you know, he's getting his hours up. It's costing him 15 quid and some fuel, and, and I'll, I'll get to go in a plane. So I take my sister and my girlfriend at the time, and we decide to fly down to Cornwall to surprise her granddad for his 80th and we we decided to fly down to, to Bodmin in this little Cessna the day before Christmas Eve um to go and um uh, surprise him for his birthday and we get down there and see him and it's all fine and then uh, on the way back a very long story short we ran out of fuel and we crash landed in a potato field in Aston Cantlow <laughs> so the I was in the front page of the evening mail on Christmas Eve Whenever it was late nineties, the and, fuck's it like being in a plane crash? Uh, that was fucking terrifying, <laughs> um, to be honest. But like, so you see that everything, everything since then's a bonus. So, um, uh, you know, statistically, it's incredibly rare. And actually, the I should say, John, the pilot, um, I've not spoken to you for years. So, John, if you listen to this, please get in touch, John Roberts. Yeah, um, you're going to get sued. <laughs> yeah, no, no. John was fantastic. He was cleared of any blame. And actually, it was what I now know. So. It was. It's kind of called the Swiss cheese model, basically, and it's when things go wrong, um, and it's like, it's like with Swiss cheese, we've got all the holes, and basically all these problems line up, and you just fly through all the holes, and, and it's basically this thing in aviation where, generally speaking, you don't just take off; one thing goes wrong, and then everyone's dead. Um, lots of things go wrong in sort of succession, and you kind of need a perfect storm. And weirdly, I've had that similar times, including last week. Weirdly, where you just get a few things where you think, "Oh, that's a bit a bit unlucky," um, and um, and yeah, you can kind of get this scenario where you can get in trouble very quickly. But after this sort of plane crash, um, no one was hurt. The plane was undamaged. They landed in a potato field, but we were extremely lucky, um, and. After that, I thought, I mean, they're never going to fly again, or I, I need to kind of go the other way, me being me, and I want to, you know, not just get in a plane, I want to learn to fly one, because that was the terrifying thing, was being in a plane crash, with I was no, sat with in the no front, way to, no, and I yeah. cannot do anything, um, and, and again, I now know that, you know, again, John did it far better than probably I would have done, um, uh, you know, even now. And, and I've got, you know, 600 hours or so of, of flying experience. But, yeah, so the first thing I did when I kind of, um, my priority, even though I hadn't really, when I was was working at this gym and I'd started my own business, I got my distribution business, my priority was learning to fly, um, which, you know, was a few hundred quid a week, you know. So it was not massively expensive. It certainly wasn't cheap. But, you know, I, I made sure I had like one or two flying lessons a week and I, I, I passed my pilot's licence at the time in the bare minimum amount of time. It was 45-hour limit and I passed it bang on 45 hours. I think I flew solo at six hours and at the time, no one had ever flown solo in less hours. Um, but again, like I said, I decided I wanted to do it, committed to it, and then went every week for a year and, and, and learnt to fly. And then I learnt to fly and then I flew around for a year, took my girlfriend flying, took my mum flying, um, and then I sort of got bored. There was no reason to do it. And I sort of stopped. And then, you know, the business sort of took off and I became engrossed in the business. Um, and then, yeah, back in sort of 2017, I thought I'd always I'd always regretted sort of giving up flying. And I revalidated my license and bought a plane. And now I use it all the time. And it sort of changed my life. That's mad. And I think I think that just goes to show your your character is like 
one thing that's gone through your whole story and your whole narrative how it's like when you decide to do something you just go all in on doing it and and you won't be the you could have been deterred by the crash you could have been deterred by the fact of like you know this this grenade bottle of of the fat burning capsules when you when you made it like this is a very male looking product you know what oh, I mean? yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, so, you could have, you, you know, you could have been deterred because someone said, oh, it doesn't fit the female demographic and all this kind of stuff that you could have been deterred through right the way through your journey. Th- th- and this is why that's a good example, actually, because this is why, like I said before at the start, I just want the best person for the job. You know, everyone be themselves, um, do what makes you happy, be polite and respectful to everyone. And then whatever you want to do in your private life, go and do whatever you want to do. And like I said, we just hire the best people for the job. But you're right, you know, back then, um, the, 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 the campaign, when people were sort of marketing towards women in the fitness industry, it's different now, but I think we're probably one of the reasons it's different. They would market to women in the fitness industry. It had to be kind of, you know, pink and cute and fluffy because that's what women like. And I never understood that. So we came up with this philosophy where like the other brands would sort of, you know, if say they do a, so that's our, our fat burner you're looking at, the green bottle. And they'd say, oh, what's the women's one? So, well, this one, women can use this one, men can use this one. It's not exclusive to men. It's, you know, not designed for women. It's the best product you can get to put in your body to, to help you lose weight. Um, and other brands like we're making it pink and, you know, sort of, I'm exaggerating, but not putting kittens and stuff on the box. And we just thought that was like incredibly patronising. Um, and we come up with a slogan of like, oh, you'll pink it and shrink it. Because that's what everyone did. They make it pink and make it half the size. And it was like, you know, a women's dose of everything was like half the size of the men's. And I just didn't really understand it. So um, we just made something that was for everyone. And and actually the inspiration for this of kind of the not patronising women was if you remember the chocolate bar Yorkie they did it brilliantly years ago where not they kind girls. of not for girls yes they advertised the York and it's like it's not for girls it's for truckers and all this women went out and bought it because they were told they shouldn't if you want to market to someone don't market at them market round them so the best way you can get women to buy products is probably say it's not for women um, so and, I, and again when it came to weight loss I'd worked in gyms for 10 years and when it came to came to women and weight loss in my experience i had never met a woman who didn't want the strongest fat burner possible i never had a woman in 10 years come up to me and go i want a fat burner but i'm a woman and i like kittens and pink stuff so (laughs) basically it's got to be fucking pink and it's got to be half the size and strength of the men's big men because obviously we're women and we're much smaller and more dainty and it's that never happened so but in all of the marketeers' eyes, clearly it did. No, I'd worked in gym, so I knew it was bollocks. So I just knew that women wanted the strongest things. So fucking made it. Um, but that's a good example of just where people have really overcomplicated it and become sort of, you know, um, they've completely missed the idea of, of, of sort of, of branding. Um, and actually, we were we had the chance of getting into um, um, a, a, a big pharmacy in the UK who specifically wanted a women's fat burner and we wouldn't do it. And we didn't get a listing because we wouldn't make the, the women's one that they wanted. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's mad. It's mad. When you just broke that down, the way you, the way you just said that, where, where it's like, you know, women just want what fucking works. Yeah, it's it's so true. But I've never even thought about that myself. Well, it's almost like for me taking it a stage further, where you've got, um, you know, oh, the women's version of something, and like, you know, it's pink and cute and fluffy and half the size. It's half the strength, um, you know, and all this. Um, it's almost like saying that, you know, we would know that. Is that like saying women can't train as hard as men? Of course they can. You know, it's sort of, um, 
they're immediately being sort of wrapped in cotton wool and sort of patronised. And, you know, I mean, God, when I was training at my hardest back in the day, I was training with a girl called Debbie. It was like British on the British Olympic team for fencing. And she and I was trained pretty hard. And, she, you know, I was training with a, um, you know, a, a woman. And I was like a 17 stone sort of male bodybuilder. But comes back to this... I just want to train with people that are serious, that want the best. I don't care if they're male, female, a toaster, you know, whatever. You just, I, I don't care about someone's gender or, or, or whatever. I just want to be with someone who's got the right mentality. Um, and I think nowadays it just all gets taken sort of, um, you know, it's far too seriously and pe- people should probably give themselves a bit of an uppercut every morning and take themselves less seriously. And I think on that one, Al, I think we uh, let you get back to your day. And I find, yeah, even nothing, but 19 hours in with this podcast. Yeah, do you know what? <laughs> do you know what, though? I, I was, I, I did the final question at I did, 1.20. I did warn you I was interesting. I, 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 I did the final question at one twenty, like you demanded. <laughs> I didn't demand, didn't yeah, demand it. You made me so, it, you're, getting, you're getting a bill for my fucking electric, I know yeah, that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that lighting does wonders for you. All right. So I bet I'm very shiny, yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. But guys, look, do me a solid favour, yeah. If you've got the, the amount of value that I know you would have got out of this podcast, Drop me an hour message. Drop us, um, drop us a review on 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 YouTube, Apple, Spotify. It's all appreciated. I hope you guys got got everything out that that I wanted you to on the branding, on structuring, on when to buy Lambos for a start, <laughs> on, on on why plane crashes should be embraced. But yeah, plane crashes are not a bad thing yeah. necessarily. But th- but I thought the plane crash bit was a great um, a great summary of life itself. Because like there's a lot of crashes that you'll go through in life, and it's all about getting back on the horse, and that's what it's like, and that's what, and that's what, and that's and that's what I've got from a lot of your journey. I just want to say I really appreciate your time, mate. And, no, uh, my pleasure. And do you know what? Just because of because I'm because um, <laughs> we're on the plane crash thing as well, and that analogy you've just made, you're right. It's learning to sort of spot the signs. And again, with flying, I've always got something up my sleeve. And my flying instructor said, always have something up your sleeve, always just have a plan. And again, it just stuck with me because you're right, you know, with with life, it's just nice to just have, yep, go for A, but it's really nice if all of a sudden you've got, you know, B lined up. And I was flying down to Cornwall the other week and it's a journey I do quite a lot, but I always take it seriously. I plan it properly. I'm very meticulous with it because I know when things go wrong, they go wrong quickly. And weirdly, it nearly happened last week where I had a little perfect storm of three or four things um, just all come together. And again, it can all end sort of very differently. So it's just it's good just to sort of stay grounded and have a plan. There you go. That, guys, is Alan Barrett. That's the Frankie Lee podcast. Much love. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee podcast.